Welcome to Women on the Line, Community Radio's National Women's Current Affairs Program, produced at 3CR Community Radio in Melbourne and broadcast on the Community Radio Network. I'm Emma Hart. This week on Women on the Line, we're bringing you a snapshot of activism around gentrification, racism and police violence from Brooklyn, New York City. On August the 13th, community group Equality for Flatbush held a march against gentrification, racism and police violence in Flatbush and East Flatbush. Flatbush is a neighbourhood in the heart of Brooklyn and Women on the Line went along to speak to residents about what's happening in their communities. One thing which became apparent in what follows is how much gentrification isn't a naturally occurring inexorable force or even something that occurs by accident, but in fact is driven by profit motives, sanctioned by government policies and the failure of regulation and enforced by police. Listeners should be aware that this episode contains explicit discussion of police violence. I'm going to say what do we want. Let's go with justice for now. My name is Zakia Saeed and I am from Brooklyn, New York and I am here, well one representing myself and two also representing the Brooklyn Anti-Gentrification Network. So the Brooklyn Anti-Gentrification Network is like an umbrella organization. It's a network of other organizations that had already been addressing gentrification and issues in Brooklyn. Yeah, it's a, it's a group of other groups that are working to fight gentrification. What does gentrification mean when it happens in Brooklyn? Could you sort of explain the, the processes that are at work? I mean, it, it means everyone has always wanted to live in New York, but at, now there's a huge influx of people coming to New York, particularly in Brooklyn. And what it means is that a lot of people, like myself and many others who have been in Brooklyn for a long time, get this place. It also means that people who have been here and people of color, black people, are more heavily policed. You know, I think that's the thing that most people don't realize is that gentrification is a housing issue, but it also, you know, goes into gender and race and uh, police brutality um, and resources and food, etc. You know, so <laughs> it's, it's a layered issue. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I mean, we met at the Equality for Flatbush rally last weekend now, and I remember one of the things people were talking about at the rally was in terms of the harassment of tenants and how the police have a very, you know, a very prominent role there in putting pressure on tenants um, to leaving their neighbourhoods. Yeah. I mean, there's there's these things that I call (laughs) transformers, like the movie. Um, There are these big police bands that have emerged in our neighborhoods now that that weren't there when I was growing up. And it's just like these huge police trucks, you know, and a a camera can pop out the top. And it's just, it's, it's really, it's really violent for people who've been in Brooklyn for years. You know, I mean, our sort of 
relationship to the police has been one that's been violent, but also one that it's like, normally when you need the cops, it takes them forever to come to your neighborhood when we were growing up. So now this idea that the cops are ever present, you know, has a violent effect on people who've been there because we know that's only because of the newcomers. And so what, what it says to young people is that we're trying to protect the newcomers from you who've been here. While the factors involved in gentrification are extremely complex, at the centre of the conversation is rent. In the face of the push for profit by individual landlords and larger corporate redevelopments, existing protections for renters are under pressure. According to the publication We Won't Move, Tenants Organise in New York City, New York is a city of tenants, with close to 70% of the city's residents occupying over 2 million apartments, and rent regulation, including both rent control and rent stabilisation, covering over a million of these apartments as of 2015. The Brooklyn Anti-Gentrification Network has a 12-point platform of demands, and these include both universal rent stabilisation and that not one more rent-stabilised unit become destabilised. So rent-stabilised apartments are apartments that people have had and they've gone into an agreement where they know that they're only going to pay a particular amount from now until forever, or they may expect small incremental changes over time, but not large ones. But really, it's for it to stay right where it is, for the, the rent to be stabilized. Um, and so what you have is a number of people who've been used to that for years um, and who can only afford that. Now, if, a, if an apartment is destabilized, it means that that person can no longer pay their rent. And so, I mean, it's essentially um, a way of pushing them out of that space so that we can bring in newcomers who we know are going to pay three times, four times, five times that amount. Yeah. And the, the way it works, the protection can be broken after the rent reaches a certain threshold, is that right? So like once it gets high enough, it doesn't have to go up slowly anymore, it can just like skyrocket? Continue to skyrocket. Yeah, yeah. I believe so. I mean, and we're talking about all different sort of ages. I mean, when you talk about rent stabilized apartments, that's helpful for everyone, but I mean, imagine a grandmother, you know what I mean? Who's been in a place for how many years and is living off of retirement or what our social security, I mean, you, your, your, your apartment can't be destabilized, then you really have no way to pay to live there. Yeah. yeah. I mean, what are the options for people if they get pushed out of their neighborhood? I mean, it doesn't seem like there's really many places to go. A lot of people, People are displaced to maybe other family members, um, but many people also become homeless. I mean, the shelter system is very packed and overcrowded, and also people get pushed to other boroughs and other parts of Brooklyn. In terms of problems with larger corporate developments of new housing, a consistent theme is the inadequacy of Mayor de Blasio's current housing plan. While there are some protections in place, these are inadequate and what the many specific issues in the plan amount to is that when new developments go up, existing long-term residents of neighbourhoods are displaced and divisions between existing neighbourhood housing and new developments can begin to develop. What the new luxury developments would look like is since they have to have a certain number of them that are quote-unquote affordable, which you could make $100,000 and still be considered <laughs> eligible for affordable housing but um, so it might be something where I don't know out of a uh, hundred units you have 12 or 20 that are supposed to be for affordable housing so 
I mean, in theory, you know, all of those people, regardless of the income, will be living in the same building. And so I guess some might say that that will promote diversity, actually. But it will be a very small amount of units that would be for affordable housing. But I mean, it, it would be segregated. I mean, if you have a, a neighborhood that's historically black or historically Latino and a large building is built where people pay ridiculous amounts of money, you're gonna start to see the demographics change, you know? And so what does that mean for the seven units that are in that building? who might be those who are still sort of left over from the community that has all been displaced, or might even be new people themselves coming in, because the reality is what is being called affordable really isn't affordable, you know? So some of the folks that are coming in will be eligible for affordable housing, and people like myself might not, you know, who have been here. If listeners want to support the Brooklyn Anti-Gentrification Network, they can visit bangentrification.org. That's B-A-N gentrification.org. And we'll be putting that web address up on the Women on the Line page as well. Women on the Line. On community radio around Australia, you're listening to Women on the Line. We're bringing you coverage of resistance to gentrification in Brooklyn, New York City. So we can win. Good things start in small packages. Good things in small packages can have an impact. With strategic organisation and community support, there are many stories of successfully resisting gentrification. This is B.C. Idira Abdullah, the director of Imani House, speaking at the Equality for Flatbush March. So I want to tell you my little story that will make you a little bit more excited. First of all, I work with over 300 inner-city children. I offer them performing arts. The Imani House, maybe that word meaning faith, is an unbelievable organisation, a budget under $400,000. We teach people to read and write, we have GED programs, and my job is to bring people to the table and say, how can you help? The same way you came here today, we are saying to you, how can you help? So when Tabiel and I, in April, April 30th to be exact, received a 30-day notice, no introduction, no it's coming, no it's on its way, no we don't want you here, basically it said, you're too close to the Barclays Center, it's time for you to go. Unfortunately, we believed it. We thought we had to go. And so what I said, she knew Imani and she called him. And what I said to him was, we might not win, but they are going to drag me out of here kicking and screaming. And I am going to make that statement that enough is enough. We are commercial businesses. I am a nonprofit. I have been there 24 years. Tabiel has been in her space 20 years. And they sent us a 30-day notice that we should leave the premises and basically not come back. I said we're not trash, we should not be swept to the curb, we are value to the community, and we are the last two brown women left on Fifth Avenue as far as I can walk. And so with the help of Imani and his constant encouragement, we fought back. We fought back strategically. We studied the group. We studied the landlord. We planned rallies. And within two weeks, we were called to the negotiating table. Please, you guys are amazing. Leave our Facebook page alone, they said. (laughs) Stop the call. 
Stop the call. I am BC Eder Abdullah. I um, started Imani House in Liberia, West Africa. And I just, I'm really, I've always been an advocate. I'm from Brooklyn. I've always been an advocate for injustice and for people who are facing injustices. And gentrification to me is one of the worst injustices there is. I feel that um, literacy, healthcare, and a place to live, along with a good job, are human rights that we each deserve to have. And now, ordinary people are being pushed out of their homes. We're in Brooklyn. We're in a place called Park Slope, which is probably the most expensive neighborhood in New York City. It was a depressed neighborhood about 15 years ago. It was very, very depressed, but most of the businesses closed. Um, since the Barclays Center came, which is a sports stadium, the rents have gone up extremely high, and many of the smaller mom and pops, uh, Latino businesses that were here are gone, the few that were here. And so we've been here 24 years as a nonprofit, Imani House. Have you seen this neighborhood change over that time? Well, when we, when we rented the neighborhood, I was still living in Africa, and I rented it for my New York group. And at that time, it was fairly dangerous, very diverse in terms of African-American and Latino, Latino groups from many parts of the world, um, but very little um, infrastructure, let's say, for this particular neighborhood. Um, and so many of the businesses were boarded up or closed, and, and that, you know, in itself was depressing. But I always ask what price progress, and while we're happy that the neighborhood now has open stores, it's still facing crises because many of the stores that do open end up closing because they can't afford the rents. Maybe we can talk a bit more about Imani House. I understand you recently successfully resisted an eviction attempt in April this year. So both of us received this 30-day notice. Um, a process server came mm -hmm. and he told us to call the lawyers and we had no idea what was going on, but neither of us had a lease. We were month to month. We knew that the landlord may have wanted us out. Mm -hmm. The landlord was a nonprofit like us. Um, but there was a lot of opportunity here. I had met with them, and they had stated that they could get a lot more rent for this spot, that we were paying way below market. Mm -hmm. And market, again, is relative to the community. And so we began to put up petitions. We began to talk to our neighbors. Um, so we began to fight. We went online. We put um, information on care station I think and on move and we got about 13,000 signatures from local people signing we had signs on the windows and one of the things that we were told by lawyers and other people we called was that we could not win that we could not win and then we met um, Imani from the director of equality for Flatbush as well as a young man who was filming on gentrification from South Africa mm -hmm. um, and they began to help us uh, within two weeks, the landlord called us in for a conference mm -hmm. um, to try and encourage us to stop the petitions because there, there was so much outcry in the community. Mm -hmm. um, and I think it's mainly because we're the two last black, brown women on the avenue, but also that we're women who have been here 20 years, and in my case, almost a quarter century. Mm -hmm. And here they were looking to make a profit off of the space. It didn't make any sense. So many people locked up their Facebook page. They um, called their office ad nauseum. All the politicians got involved with calling them like, what are you doing? And <clears throat> that was probably the fastest um, win 
that um, gentrification groups have won. I would say that the realtors have created a type of frenzy. And um, unfortunately, there are many people who think, I want that before it gets too expensive. I want it before it gets too expensive. I want to be where the going is good. I want to be accepted. There is no other reason. Many of these houses, they are what my mother used to call um, shotgun shacks, meaning that they don't have windows on the side. If you shoot through the front, it'll go out the back window. <laughs> That's all you have is a front and back window. And they have divided these, these apartments to, into studios. One of the places we walked by on Saturday, if you remember, studio for $2,000. I mean, rents in this neighborhood up until, I would say, 2007, eight or six or seven hundred dollars or a thousand dollars and now you can't even get a two-bedroom apartment mm -hmm. um, the problem for us is commercial tenants are not regulated right. so a commercial landlord unless if you do not have a lease he can come in today and say okay your rent is going from a thousand dollars a month to twelve thousand dollars a month and nobody can stop him it's unethical but it's not illegal it's not illegal and, you know, the only thing we had on our side was, one, that we're a nonprofit, and, two, that we're the last two brown women. And the community was really outraged. Mm. They, they, you know, they were saying enough is enough. Sure. There was a lot of community support, and there was support from all over the world. Because mm. this is happening in London. It's happening in New Zealand. It's happening everywhere, and I'm sure it's happening in Australia as well. The prime property now, everybody's got their eye on it. Like, why mm. should poor people be living there? Give us mm. that property. It's near the beach, or it's, you know... Um, and so I've been studying gentrification around the world, and it's a, it's a new form of injustice that, you know, people have to have places to live and, and work. Where can our listeners go if they want to find out more about Imani House? Okay. They can go to www.imanihouse.org. That's www.imanihouse.org. And we are a global organization because we're in Liberia. Mm -hmm. um, we also have writing groups, and we have um, submissions from so many people from all over the world. So I'd love to hear from some of the listeners as to what's going on in Australia. Women's on the line. <laughs> oh, that was women on the line. Women on the line. <laughs> <laughs> My name is Aliyah Yashtala, and I am a volunteer and organizer with Equality for Flatbush. I have lived in Brooklyn for a little over three years now, so I would consider myself a new resident to Brooklyn. So Equality for Flatbush is a grassroots, people of color-led organization movement, and it is seeking to create a coalition of people and organizations uh, within Brooklyn, but also um, particularly Flatbush, but uh, within Brooklyn and beyond New York City and other cities to fight gentrification, displacement, and police brutality and police uh, repression. Flatbush is starting to, there's an influx of new residents, particularly white, young white professionals. There's a lot more like the coffee shops and storefronts that are offering goods that are like more expensive and things you would see in Manhattan and seem to be catering to new residents. I mean, gentrification is a really complicated 
process, but the optics of gentrification are like very visceral. And that isn't to say that like long-term residents, you know, and I can't speak for long-term residents, but from what I've heard, I, that's not to say that, you know, folks don't want new stores or new things or things to be fixed up that have been broken down due to wear and tear or neglected over time because of racism and redlining, but people don't want changes. But, you know, when the changes are clearly due to displacement or in response to displacement or, or trying to foster the displacement of long-term immigrant and black residents, um, or both, uh, to, to kind of create a culture that is geared towards young white middle to upper class people, then that is like, that is a problem. You know, it's not inclusive. It's not taking into consideration the existing culture of people who live in a certain place, not Bush in Brooklyn. People are experiencing harassment. People are, their repairs aren't being done in their apartments in order to try to manipulate people to leave their apartments. People are, are being bought out of their homes for really like being underpaid or undersold to try to be bought out of their homes so developers can come in and build new things on top of their homes. These are homeowners, just people who are trying to live in their homes and live their lives and are our families or people who are working uh, full time and, and no one needs that out of stress of, of someone trying to like pull the rug from underneath you. People are being harassed by the police on the streets because, you know, in my mind, the police in Flatbush and in Brooklyn are not there to protect everybody. They're there to protect white people and harass particularly black people and, you know, being stopped for no reason in your car while you're walking there being like a disproportionate amount of violence used for the police to stop someone on the street disproportionate amount of police force being used brutality and that is a direct response to gentrification and to the sense that like this is now a police it has been for a long time but now even more is a police state for those who are not gentrifiers and that to kind of foster this feeling of this is not your home or shouldn't be. And like, why are you here to make you feel unsafe? That's mm. the intention, the intention, not saying that's, that they're necessarily successful, but that intention is there and that feeling happens and there are consequences both emotionally, spiritually, and physically, whether it's from a landlord or from a police officer, you know? I mentioned to earlier that at the Equality for Flatbush March, people had also spoken about a number of deaths which had resulted from police violence in Brooklyn in recent years. I mean, you have people who have passed, you have like people who are murdered, rather, Kalani Gray, Chantal Davis, Kyam Livingston, to name a few people. Kalani Gray was a boy, he was a child. Um, he was shot in the back while he was running away from the cops, you know? Denise Flatbush. And so, yeah, it's very tangible. And then you have the, the incidents in between that don't go reported where people are being like um, emotionally abused or physically abused um, by the cops, um, made to feel unwelcome in their own area or made to feel small, made to feel less. This is Noha from New Yorkers Against Bratton. That's New York City Police Commissioner Bill Bratton, who will be stepping down from his role this September. From the courts, to the DA, to the police, yes. everyone yes. 
is dirty. Yes. Everyone is crooked. That's right. Everyone is wicked. Everyone is participating in the genocide of black and brown people, of the mentally ill, of the queer, of the LGBTQ. Everybody is getting killed, is getting murdered. And we have to say it is enough, enough. How many more people can we see get executed in the streets? How many more people does it take for us to say that this is the genocide? I can't take it anymore. And I know many of you can't take it anymore. We have to be out in the streets. We have to be out in the streets in our community because it's happening here. It's happening here. Just blocks away, 16-year-old honor student Kamani Gray was shot in the back. Shot in the back. Chantel Davis was killed on 38th Street, East 38th Street and Church Avenue. Shot while she was seatbelt, sitting with her seatbelt on, okay, in her car. Her car had crashed and they shot her. And then they let her lay out in the streets for two hours. Kayanne Livingston, in, in the courthouse, criminal courthouse in Brooklyn, begging the police for, to go to the hospital, begging them to go to the hospital. Seven hours later, 911 isn't called until NYPD finds her dead in the cell. This is what we are dealing with in this city, okay? We have to be aware when we live in this city, when we share the space with the people of this city, okay? That we need to be aware how the people of this city live. We need to know what their reality is because if we don't, we are complicit in what is happening to them. I asked Aaliyah about Copwatch, a project which has arisen in response to police violence. So I'm a member of the East Flatbush Copwatch team, and it's a people of color run and led primarily uh, black people and um, many people from the neighborhood who are on the team. Um, and we try to go on monthly patrols where we have like a formation and we have cameras and we kind of document police interactions and police violence in East Flatbush to try to escalate situations and provide documentation as need be for future legal proceedings. If they want yeah. it, it's, it's all consensual. And then we do outreach and we, ha- we hand out information for folks to be able to be informed about their rights and like what happens, what they should know if they interact with the police. Information is important. And another project aimed at documenting Brooklyn and fighting gentrification is Before It's Gone, a website by Equality for Flatbush, which allows residents to upload and compile their stories and experiences. Before it's gone, it's an interactive map that is based around Brooklyn. And it's trying to like document what was, what is, in terms of like how communities change, how communities are changing, people's personal experiences with gentrification. And like the slogan says, before it's gone, take it back. You know, so it's like a kind of like a call to action. I would love everyone to get it on before it's gone um, and the website and to 
create a profile and to upload your own thoughts and feelings and experiences and articles and about gentrification. Listeners can visit Before It's Gone at www.beforeitsgone.co. As well as these other projects, Equality for Flatbush are currently raising money for their Rapid Response Fund to stop tenant harassment and police violence. So we are raising money for a Rapid Response Fund and we are still collecting money. We will. Um, and so basically we have hotlines in Spanish. And yeah, I would consider them a, a hotline of sorts or a, a conduit in Spanish, Creole and English for people who are being harassed by landlords or are being threatened with displacement or are currently being displaced and don't have anywhere else to go because they were being evicted um, or locked out for illegal or unjust reasons. And so we're raising money to be able to help people find emergency housing or to help pay for legal fees. And there's a great need for that. If you'd like to donate, you can visit www.ucaring.com forward slash equality hyphen four hyphen flatbush hyphen five five two six six zero. And we'll also put up relevant web addresses from today's show on the Women on the Line website. And that's all for Women on the Line today. Women on the Line is Community Radio's National Women's Current Affairs Programme. It's produced and presented by a range of women broadcasters from 3CR in Melbourne and broadcast across Australia on the Community Radio Network. We greatly appreciate financial support from the Community Broadcasting Foundation. We welcome your comments or thoughts on today's show, so send us an email to womenonthelinea at gmail.com or phone 3CR on 03 9419 8377. Women on the Line programs can be downloaded from our website, 3cr.org.au forward slash women on the line. The theme music for Women on the Line is Slideshow at Free University by La Tigra. I'm Emma Hart. Hope you can tune in again next time.